0: And probably a lot to learn. Um, as I said last week, there's uh, if, if you go across the churches and you look at the teachings about tongues, it just goes from completely ignoring them to there's churches in the middle and there's churches on the other end, and there's just people doing a lot of things that a lot of things that I think are, are incredibly wrong. And um, so what we try to do here is just go back, forget all that and just go back and see what does the Bible teach, and, and let's hopefully get it right. So real quickly, context uh, uh, for this passage of Scripture. As we know, we've talked about this for several weeks now. Uh, the spiritual gifts are operating in the church at Corinth, but they are causing all kinds of, of problems. Um, just it, It's causing a lot of division, a lot of disunity, and, and just it's just a mess. The, the, the church at Corinth was an absolute mess. I hear people say all the time, well, if we could just go back to the way they used to do church. Well, from the very beginning, churches had problems because people have problems. You just bring a bunch of people together, it just don't, everybody's not going to get along. Everybody's gonna, people are going to make mistakes. It happened from the very beginning. It's been happening for 2,000 years. But the spiritual gifts were causing a problem. So you can understand, as we said last week, if somebody would just say, well, wait a minute, guys, listen. Why don't we just, if the spiritual gifts are causing that much, that many issues, that many problems, why don't we just set them aside why don't we just forget about them? Why don't we just ignore them, pretend they don't exist? Let's just focus on love. Let's just focus on things that are not controversial. Let's, let's just focus on things that, that don't cause problems. And we can, we can understand that. That's, that's human nature. We don't like drama, most of us. Uh, we don't like issues. If, if things that cause issues, let's just put them to the side. But for Paul, ignoring the spiritual gifts is not an option. That is just not an option. He never even broaches that subject. In fact, as we saw last week in verse 1 of chapter 14, he says this, Pursue love and earnestly, that word means seriously, desire the spiritual gifts. So that's not an option. Yes, he understands there's problems. He doesn't. He's, he's not foolish. He doesn't discount that. But he says in spite of the problems, you should still earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially, he said, that you may... Prophesy. So he says we're we're to desire all the spiritual gifts. He doesn't say just desire these that don't cause issues or just these that are kind of behind the scenes. He says desire all of them. And he says especially that we are to desire prophecy. Now, why? Well, he told us in verses 4 through 5, he said, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. He goes on. He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, I want you to prophesy. Okay, now that's important. I desire that everybody speak in tongues. He says, I think that's a great thing. But more than that, greater than that, is the ability to prophesy. Because why? Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless somebody interprets so that the church may be built up. It goes on in verse 12 as we closed last week. He says, "...so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church." Now, in those first 12 verses, Paul made his point. Prophecy is greater than tongues. Okay, that was his whole point in those 12 verses. Now, why? Because prophecy is spoken in words that people can understand, right? Therefore, it builds people up. It encourages them. It consoles them. It edifies them. And that should, uh, listen to me, Paul says that should always be our primary focus, right? Serving others, building other people up, that should be our focus. That's why prophecy is greater than tongues, because that's what it does. It builds other people up. I mean, just think about it. If we came in this morning, how foolish would this be? You all come in this morning, I open my laptop, and I stand here, and for 45 minutes I speak in tongues. You tell me, what did we accomplish? Absolutely nothing what paul's saying people when you speak in tongues you're accomplishing as far as helping other people you accomplish nothing nothing zip zero but you speak five words intelligibly in an understandable language you can build start to build people up you can edify them you know help their faith etc that's why prophecy is greater than tongues and by the way i'll say it again that should always be our primary focus is to build others up now but don't forget what Paul just said. Paul says, But I want you all to speak in tongues. Paul, is, he's not, you would think he would de emphasize tongues, but he's not. He's still not, prophecy's greater, but the fact is he still says, I want you all to speak in tongues. It is still a valuable and valid gift. So he continues with our passage today. Let's start in verses 13 through 14. Therefore, he says, The one who speaks in a tongue, should pray that he may interpret, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now let's stop here for a second and let's review what we learned last week. According to the Bible, we, we're going through remember, we're going through all of First Corinthians. We, we cover whatever we want, whatever we come to, we don't skip it, we just cover it. So according to the Bible, what is the gift of tongues? Is it real languages? Or is it unintelligible utterances? Well, we asked these two questions last week. Is the gift of tongues the supernatural ability to utter real human languages not previously known or studied by the speaker? For example, what happened on the day of Pentecost? Well, in my opinion, the answer to that question is Yes, you'll remember on the day of Pentecost, there 120 people uh, are in the upper room. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. The disciples are there. Jesus' brothers are there. The Holy Spirit comes with a sound of mighty rushing wind. The people across the city hear it. They run to it. They come out of that room, and they, the Bible says they're speaking in other tongues. They're speaking in other languages. And it says all the people heard them in their own language. So they heard him speak in Italian, they heard him speak in Greek, they heard him speak in parthenian and 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 Libyan and all these other other languages, and so that is I, I, I believe that is part of the gift of tongues. But is the gift of tongues always the speaking of, of human languages? Is that all it is? Okay? Well, no, as we saw last week, Paul seems to make it clear that there is another category. Uh, of tongues for example in first corinthians 13 1, paul refers to the tongues of men he says though i speak in the tongues of men and the tongues of what angels the, the tongues of angels he seems to refer to a a heavenly dialect a, a dialect that nobody um understands one that's given by the holy spirit look at uh first corinthians 14 2 he says this for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to god for who understands him What does it say? Nobody. Nobody understands. Now, let me tell you, there's two things there, two reasons why he can't be talking about a human language. Number one, if I stood up here today and I began to speak in, I began to speak, let's just say in Greek. I just started speaking in Greek. Well, number one, look what it says. Who would I be speaking? Would I be speaking to God in Greek? No, there, there may not be a, hopefully there's a Greek person here. I'd be speaking to men. When you speak human languages, you're speaking to men, not to God. And by the way, if I speak Greek, somebody will understand me. Somewhere in this world, somebody understands Greek. But Paul says when you speak in this dialect, nobody understands you. Okay, So that's two reasons right there that I just believe Paul cannot be talking about human language. He has to be talking about some type of heavenly or angelic dialect. Look at verses 18 through 19, and this is another reason I know that Paul's not talking about human language. He says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, to me, again, that is clear evidence that tongues does not have to be just typical human foreign languages. Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology says this, if tongues were only known foreign languages that foreigners could understand, like at Pentecost, then why in the world would Paul speak speak more tongues in private than everybody else? In other words, why would Paul go into his private closet and begin to pray in Greek? That makes no sense at all, does it? I mean, it just makes no sense that he would do that. So again, I I think it's pretty clear that tongues can be foreign languages, but tongues is also a, can be a, um, well, we said it right here. Tongues may be human languages never before learned by the speaker, but they don't have to be. They also may be angelic or heavenly dialects or unique utterances given by the Spirit to believers according to the will of God. Now let's go back to our first two verses and see what Paul says again. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue... Now, this, by the way, the rest of this chapter, Paul is going to be be talking about speaking in this heavenly dialect. He's not talking about human languages here. He's talking about speaking in a heavenly tongue. He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now, my question is, why? Okay, well, he's going to say, for, that word for means because. He says, because if you pray in a tongue, my spirit is praying... But my mind is unfruitful. And basically what he's saying is my mind has no idea what's going on. I'm saying words. I got no idea what I'm saying. They're just coming out. Now, so here's the question. Remember, we just finished 12 verses, right? And prophecy, uh, his whole point in those 12 verses is that what? Prophecy is greater than tongues. And then he says, if you do pray in a tongue, you better pray that you may interpret. Because if you're praying in, a, in, a, in an unknown tongue, he says, your mind is unfruitful. It's cause, cause, so what he's saying here is there, if you pray in a tongue, no one... I think I just went out, but I'll keep going. Okay, If you pray in a tongue, nobody around you is going to understand what you're saying, and the church is not going to be built up. It's like I just said a while ago. If you come in here this morning and I speak for 45 minutes of tongue, that is absolutely useless. Useless. Paul says, don't do that. If you're going to speak in a tongue, you better interpret. Why? So that people will be built up. So that people will understand what you're saying and people will be encouraged and people will be edified. Remember, what's our primary goal? To build the church up, to build others up. That's what he's saying. Now, at this point, Paul is going to ask a question in verse 15. He says, well, what am I to do? Now, why would Paul ask that question? Well, Paul's a pretty smart guy. And as Paul's writing sometimes, you know, Paul understands, man, what I just said might be confusing. Or what I just said, people may have questions about that. So at this point... Paul says, what am I to do? Because I think he realizes that what he said so far might be confusing. You see, Paul has said, you should desire to prophesy more than you speak in tongues. He's also said prophecy is greater than tongues. And then he said, if you do speak in tongues, you ought to interpret. So the church can be built up. So he has over and over again talked about build up the church, build up the church, build up the church. So you could understand that people might be thinking about this point you know what, What's, should I even speak in tongues at all? Should I speak in tongues or not? It, maybe I should just focus on speaking intelligible languages. Maybe I shouldn't worry about tongues at all. Maybe I should just set that aside so, and just speak words that people can, can understand. So Paul says, well, what am I to do? Well, then he goes on and he answers his own question in verse 15. Paul says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Now, what's Paul saying? What he's telling us here is that you are to do both. He's telling us that there is a time that we are to use the English language, and he's saying saying there's a time that we are to use a heavenly language. There is a time for words that can be understood, but there's also a time for words that cannot be understood. Now... That's great, but here, I'm, you know, I'm just like anybody else. I'm, you tell me that, that's going to raise another question. Well, okay, Paul, I understand there's a time for one thing and a time for other. but what's the right time? How do, I know, how do I know when is the right time to speak in tongues and when is the right time to speak in English? How do I know all that? Well, those are the very questions that Paul is going to answer in these next verses. He's saying there's a time to speak in tongues, there's a time to speak in in, in English or whatever the language may be, and there's a time to speak in intelligible words and unintelligible words. So I want to know when is the right time. That's exactly what Paul's going to answer in verses 16 through 19. If you got your Bible, look at these verses because you're going to learn something here today, I believe, about tongues. So Paul goes on. He says this. Otherwise... He's talking about people who who speak in tongues. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, in other words, you're speaking in tongues, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church... I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a a tongue. Now, there are two words in those verses that should jump out at you. The first word is outsider, and the second word is church, okay? Those two words are going to give you a lot of instruction on when tongues are appropriate and when tongues are inappropriate, okay? Okay? Look at the word outsider. Some of your trans, that, that word literally means the unlearned. Some of your translations may even say when, when, you, when, when the unlearned comes in. It means someone who doesn't understand the gifts. It means someone who doesn't have as much knowledge as you do. Someone who doesn't know what you do. By the way, this person could be an unbeliever. Or this person could be another Christian who just doesn't have the knowledge. Everybody with me? So it doesn't necessarily mean an unbeliever. But it means means somebody that's unlearned. It's somebody that doesn't know what you know about tongues and about the the spiritual gifts. Now let me tell you what this tells me. This tells me that any time we are around unbelievers or any time we are around people who don't understand the gifts, we should not speak in tongues unless there is someone with the gift of interpretation present, and I mean never I told you I think I told you the story a few weeks ago. My son had a friend with him several weeks ago, and he went down to visit his granddaddy and his granddaddy 's got uh, got bone cancer, so so he 's trying to go down there and see him as much as he can so this is my younger son, Micah, so he takes a friend and they they go down to, to visit Kathy's daddy. And as they're there visiting, a group of people show up to pray for him. That's great. No problem with that whatsoever. So they come in and, and you know, they get him in a chair and, and they get out some oil and they anoint him and they begin to pray. Great. That's, that's awesome. But during that prayer, one of those people begins to speak in tongues. And my, and, and my son's friend, who's never been exposed to that, at all never heard it didn't know anything about it she is terrified she thinks what you can imagine right let me tell you I, that is incredibly wrong what that person did there is nowhere in scripture when when an outsider is in the room when an, it says when an outsider is there you do not do it because why? He'll tell us, they'll think you insane. They'll think you're crazy. Don't do it. Everybody with me? And by the way, if you're in a room and you don't know, well, how do I know there's an outsider there? If you don't... By the way, that's you just assume, right? If you don't know everybody in that room, and you don't know that person, then don't do it. Okay, that's basically what Paul is saying. When an outsider comes, he has no idea what you're saying. So that's the first thing. That's the first situation when there's an outsider, when somebody that you don't know, okay, who may not have as much knowledge as you about the gifts, about tongues, you do not do it unless, Paul says, there is an interpreter who can interpret what you said. Everybody with me? That's the first one. Now, watch this. All right, Derek, I get that, but what if I know everybody? What if we're in a small group? What if in a small group, everybody knows everybody, we all understand tongues, we all speak in... Let's just say, let's just take the best case scenario, that everybody in that group speaks in tongues. Okay? This is kind of the opposite case, is it not? Instead of having somebody in it that doesn't know what's going on, let's say you've got a room full of people where everybody knows what's going on. Everybody understands. Everybody is of a like mind. Here's the interesting thing. Nothing changes. Paul says nothing changes. Nevertheless, Paul says, in church, with with people that are around me that, that I know, that understand the gifts, that understand tongues, we're all of a like mind. Paul says nevertheless, even in that case is what he's saying, I would rather speak five words with my mind than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Why? Because what is our goal? To build people up, to encourage people. You you can't do that speaking in tongues. That's what Paul's saying. Does everybody see that? That's incredibly important to me. Paul's saying, you got some unbelievers over there, don't do it. Okay, Paul, what about the case where we're all believers? Paul says, still don't do it. Unless there's an interpretation. Why? Because building people up is your primary goal. And when you speak in tongues, you don't build anybody up. You just build yourself up. It's all about you. Okay? Now, he's going to reiterate this as we move through these uh, passages even more. Now, he goes on. Now, at this point, he can probably see people puffing up. Well, well I've been, my grandma spoke in tongues for 50 years in church, you know? You can see people, you know, we know what we're doing. We're, we're spiritual. Look what Paul says in verse 20. Brothers and sisters, don't be children in your thinking. Let me. Somebody tell me, how do children think? What is primary in a child's thoughts? Me. A child has no clue what they're doing. They, they have no clue. I've got a two-year-old granddaughter... In her mind, she has no clue what she's doing, how it affects you. That's not even in her thoughts. She hasn't even got there yet. It's all about her. What do I want? What do I think? What do I need? That's all about... He says, don't be like that. Don't be, don't be children in your thinking. In, in, be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Now, he's going to go on, and, he's, and you better be mature because he's fixing to throw something at you that's a big deal. Okay? These next verses are going to be a big deal and I want you to listen very closely to what he's going to, what he's going to say. And this is where he's coming from. and this, He's kind of setting the scene. Don't be children in your thinking. And I'm going to give you an example of that. Look at what he says. If you got your Bible, I want you to read it with me in your verses. Verses 21 to 25. He's going to give us an example. He's going to, give us, he's going to tell us something more about tongues that some of us have never heard before. He says this, In the law... He goes back to the Old Testament. Listen very closely here now. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then, they won't listen to me. Now, he's quoting Old Testament right there. We'll get back there in just a second. But look at that next word. Thus, or therefore, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers... While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Now, Paul says that tongues, these these heavenly dialects that people don't understand, they are a sign for who? Who? Unbelievers. Now, i got to be honest with you. That has always confused me. How are tongues a sign for unbelievers? He goes on. Listen to him. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and everybody speaks in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your ever-loving minds? Right? But if everybody prophesies, and an unbeliever or an outsider comes in, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and fallen on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, as I said, I've always found that to be a contradiction. In verse 22, Paul says this, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Does he not? But in verse 23, he says, but if you speak in tongues and unbelievers come in, they'll think you're insane. They will literally think you crazy. Now, that how can that be? How can it something that when people come in and they hear you doing it, they think you're crazy, how in the world can that thing be a sign for those people. That has always confused me. I've never under understood that. So let's try this morning and make sense out of what Paul is talking about. Now, according to verse 23, we know that Paul is envisioning this public gathering, right? Just like we are this morning, a public assembly. He says, when the whole church comes together. So we've got this public assembly where everybody comes together. And the purpose of a gathering like that, by the way, folks, is not just to praise God, it is. It's not just to pray, although it is. But as we've said before, it's always to instruct and encourage and edify or build up the members of the body. When we come to church, one of the reasons we're here this morning is to build one another up, to edify one another, okay? Therefore, anything that happens, we said it before, if I came in this morning and for 45 minutes spoke in tongues... That's useless. The whole point here is to build you up, is to strengthen you in the Word of God, to edify you. So everything that, that is said in this assembly should be intelligible and understandable. We agree? If it's not, it makes, it makes no sense. Now, later on, that's why Paul is going to say, if you speak in tongues anytime in, the, in an assembly like that, it has to be interpreted so everybody can understand and all can be edified. But here's the problem in Corinth, in this first early church. you got people coming together in this assembly, and it says they're all speaking in these, these tongues, right, simultaneously. It, it is mass chaos. Just absolutely confusion and, and chaotic. Now, this doesn't mean that what they're, not, they're doing is not genuine. Everybody with me? Paul doesn't say, he says, you may be doing well. You may be doing great. You may be doing as far as what you're saying and praising God. That may be great. So we're, so Paul's not saying they're speaking in something false. He's not saying it's, it's demon-inspired. He's not saying that they aren't praising and praying God and giving thanks. They may be, but they're doing it to no one's benefit other than their own. They're like children. They're just concerned about themselves. So it's this situation... So you got this public assembly, you got that person over there speaking in tongues, that person speaking in tongues, that person speaking in tongues, and somebody, some unbeliever comes in the door. And they're thinking, what in the world have I walked? This is a cult. When's the snake's coming out? Any second now. Something's, you know, they're they're instead of instead of coming in, they're going to start backing out, right? This is exactly what Paul is talking about. Now stay with me. Right here, Paul quotes the Old Testament. Remember, this is his idea. This is what's going on. you got a public assembly. you got people speaking in tongues in different places. you got all this confusion. And an unbeliever walks in. And Paul says, let me quote the Old Testament for you. And he quotes two scriptures, probably quotes them pretty loosely. The first one is Deuteronomy 28, 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand. And then in Isaiah 28, 11, he says this... For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord is going to speak to this people. Now, why into this situation would Paul quote Old Testament? Let's go back to the Old Testament real quick and understand what was going on. You see, for years, the nation of Israel was in rebellion. And for years, the prophets would prophesy to them in Hebrew. They would prophesy to them in languages they could understand. And they'd say, Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn back to God. They kept saying it in in words they could understand. And guess what the Israelites did? They wouldn't listen. They just would not. They they heard these words, but they would not listen. So the prophets said, Okay, one day God's going to bring a people, they're going to bring in foreign invaders who speak foreign languages. And they're going to speak to you in a way that you won't be able to understand. Now, in this context, listen to me very closely. Strange tongues, being spoken to with strange tongues is a sign. But it's a sign of what? Anybody? It's a sign of judgment. It's a sign of God's anger. See, he says... I've been speaking to you in Hebrew, I've been prophesying to you in Hebrew, and you won't listen, therefore I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring an army out of the north, and they're going to, they're going to take you over, and everybody, that's, your, your, your leaders are now going to speak foreign tongues. And when that happens, that is a sign that you are under my judgment. That is a sign that you are under my anger. So in these Testaments, confusing and confounding speech is a sign of God's judgment against a rebellious people. Everybody with me? We're pretty clear so far. Now, let's go back and look at what Paul says. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Therefore, Paul says, therefore tongues are not a a sign for believers, they're a sign for unbelievers. Okay? Now, here's the question. What is the principle that Paul finds in those Old Testament passages that we can apply to the church at Corinth, and by the way, that we can still apply in the modern day. It is this. When God speaks to people in a language they cannot understand, it is a form of punishment for unbelief. Listen, folks, incomprehensible speech will never lead to repentance. Does everybody get that? Incomprehensible speech, speech you cannot understand, will never lead a person to repentance. It is not a good thing. When God speaks to you in a language you can't understand, that is a bad thing. That is a bad sign. It's not a good thing. Everybody got that? Okay? So Paul says to you and I, think maturely. Don't think like children. Is that what you want? Is that what you want out of your church? Is that what you want out of your gift? Do you want to reach the lost for Jesus Christ or do you want to drive them away? Do you want to be an instrument of His love or do you want to be an instrument of His anger? That's what He's saying. See, if you speak in tongues without interpretation, you send the wrong sign to unbelievers. It becomes a sign of judgment. See, an unbeliever, we're here this morning... And let's say we're all meeting and people start popping up speaking in tongues and there's all this confusion going on and an unbeliever walks in. He comes into a place where he should, should hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He comes into a place where he should be led to repentance. And what happens to him? He turns around and says, I'm out of here. These people are insane. See, tongues, which should have been a sign, which is a gift that should build up, turns into a sign of judgment. It turns into a negative thing. It turns into the wrong thing, and it drives unbelievers away. See, instead of hearing the gospel and being convicted of sin, they're driven away, and in driving them away, the gift of tongues has become an instrument and a sign of judgment. You see, the Bible says in John 3.18, whoever does not believe is condemned already. So anything we do that keeps people from believing becomes an instrument or a sign of judgment. It keeps them under condemnation. By the way, this is exactly why prophecy is a sign for believers. Because God uses prophecy to speak to us in understandable, intelligible language that can lead us to repentance, that can lead us to, to be a better person, that can lead us to be edified and build up. So prophecy is a sign for believers because it's positive. But he says tongues is a sign for unbelievers, it's a sign of judgment, it's a sign, it's a neck. Everybody with me? It's exactly what he's saying. His whole point here is don't be like children. Don't come into a service and think, well, I just need to do whatever I feel like doing. Don't do that. Your your whole point here is to to lead people to Jesus Christ. Your whole point here is to mentor people in Jesus Christ. And, And tongue speaking without an interpretation does the opposite of that. It drives people away. It doesn't build anybody up. Therefore, do not do it. That's his whole point throughout here. Look at what he says again. Thus tongues are assigned not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for, for believers. Why? Because if all prophesy... Watch what happens when you're prophesying. And by prophesying, remember, the point here is prophecy is in a known language, is it not? Look what he says. If everybody in here stood up and started prophesying and speaking in, in a known language and talking about the works of God, talking about how He had saved them, talking about how great He is, talking about His glory and His majesty and His beauty and His honor. And he says an unbeliever walks in that door. Look at, what, look at the difference. Instead of being driven away, look what it says. He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and falling on his face, he repents and worships God and declare that, yes, God is among you. Isn't that what we want? Yes, that's what we want. That's what the church should want. Not chaos, not confusion. That's, that's Paul's whole point here. Now, I want to close this morning. I've got about ten minutes. So what is the purpose of tongues? If Paul says in church, don't do it unless there's an interpreter, unless somebody can tell you what's being said, do not do it. If you're around an outsider, do not do it. So then what is the purpose of, of tongues? What is the purpose of this, of this gift? Well, it's threefold. Number one, it's a prayer language. First Corinthians 14.2, two, we read this earlier. Paul says, "...for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God." What is prayer? It's talking to God, is it not? The Bible says when you pray in tongues, you're talking to God. He understands exactly what's, what's being said. 1 Corinthians 14, 14, Paul says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Again, it's a, it's a, it's a prayer that's being uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty eight. watch what it says. But if there is no one to interpret tongues, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. In other words, you do it in private. You do it in your bedroom. You do it in your prayer closet. You do it driving down the road. You do it between yourself and God. Okay? By the way, somebody asked me one time, well, what about my wife? What, what, if, what if I bring my wife in and we're going we're gonna to get out and we're going to kneel and pray? Should I speak in tongues? I, I just, I still, I see no, I, I don't think so. See, the whole point, when you pray together, not only are you praying and joining together to pray to God, you're, you're, one of the things you do as you pray together is you edify one another. She's hearing what you say. You're hearing what she says. And it builds you up together. But if you're praying in a tongue, you're not building her up. If she's praying in a tongue, she's not building you up. See, Paul says, says, if there's nobody to interpret, you do it between yourself and God. That's where it belongs, in your private prayer closet. Number two, praise and thanksgiving, uh, verses 15 through 17. Paul says, I will sing praise with my spirit. If you give thanks with your spirit. He says, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not built up. Again, it's, it's a way that we praise. It's a way that we, we honor God. We, we give thanks to God through, through a tongue. Number three, and this is the big one. 1 Corinthians 14, 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up who? Himself or herself. Okay, There's something about it that builds you up. And by that, that word, edifies, means it strengthens you. It makes you stronger when you, when you do it. Now, there's a couple questions I want to ask, ask and answer real quickly before we close. Somebody might say, Well, you know what? I thought the gifts of the Spirit were for the common good. And they are. Look at verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. We started this several weeks ago. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what purpose? The common good. Encouragement, giving, serving, uh, mercy right, healing, all of those things, we're given those gifts to, to help other people. But it seems like tongues is the one gift that builds us up, not others. So is, it, is that a contradiction? Well, it's not a contradiction unless building yourself up becomes the only thing you're concerned about. Let me say that again. Edification of self is not bad, it's not evil, unless that's an end unto itself. If I am strengthened by a gift like tongues, such that I I become a more moral person, I have better understanding of other people, I have more zeal for God, I have more love for God, am am I not going to walk out of that room and become a better minister to other people? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, don't we study the Bible to build ourselves up? Yes or no? I hope you do. But what's the purpose of that? So then you can walk out of there and begin to minister to other people, serve other people, encourage other people. Don't you, aren't you here this morning? I, you're here this morning sitting here listening to me. One of the reasons you're here is to build yourself up so that you can understand the gifts of the Spirit better than you did before. So you can no longer think like a child but begin to mature in your thinking. That's one of the things that we do. So then we can walk out in the church and exercise those gifts correctly. Countless Christian activities are ways that we edify ourselves. It's not a bad thing as long as it makes us more effective in ministering to others. Now, one more question you may ask. How in the world does speaking in tongues make us stronger? How in the world does speaking in tongues in private, in your prayer closet make you stronger. The way it does is it compensates for our weakness and our ignorance. Okay? See, Paul says this in Romans eight twenty six through 27. It says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For there are times you don't have no idea how to pray. There are situations, and everybody here has been in them, where you just don't even know how to pray. You, you try to think the situation through, what should I ask for? you got no clue. And see, that's where the Bible says, Paul says, the Spirit comes in and helps us in our weakness. It helps us in our ignorance. For we don't know, he says it right there, we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He inter-, Now listen to this, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See, there's times I get down to pray and I don't even know what the will of God is. Somebody's sick and they need healing. Is the will of God to heal them? Or is the will of God for them to walk through this sickness? I got no idea. I got no idea how to pray. See, this is one of the places that praying in the Spirit helps us because it compensates for our ignorance. It compensates for our our weakness. Let me tell you, the Apostle Paul, you want to find a person praying in tongues was a staple of his private life. He said it in verse, verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, right? See, he almost never exercised that gift in a public meeting. When he did his comparison, he compared 5 to 10,000. I'd rather speak five words with my mind than 10,000 in a language that nobody understands, okay? So he, but he says, I do it more than all of you do it. So where was he doing it? He was doing it in private. He was doing it alone. He was doing it off to the side where nobody heard him. Why? To strengthen himself for ministry. Okay, that's what Paul did, and there was not a greater minister that's ever ever walked this earth in the form of a man than he did. Okay, if it's, if that's what he used to strengthen himself, then then we should as as well. That's all we've got for today. By the way, we will we've, we got more to go in this chapter. Uh, next week we'll talk about uh, orderly worship. Let's pray, Father.